Welcome to today's episode on Life in the Front Office. I'm your host, Jake Hirschman, joined with my co-host, Pat Gallagher, and we are really excited for today's episode. Uh, we've got someone on the podcast today that has practically created, you know, their part of the industry in the sports industry, and, and um, one in which, you know, when everyone asks about, you know, their experiences in minor league sports, they always talk about, well, you know, you do everything, you had to have been the mascot. Um, but we actually have a mascot on today and, and the San Diego Chicken and Ted. So, Ted, welcome to the podcast. Really excited to uh, talk to you today. Well, thank you, Jake. I appreciate it. I'm looking forward to this. So, Pat, why, don't, so why don't you go ahead and kick it off? Well, it's not only do we have not a mascot, but, you know, they, they called Muhammad Ali the greatest. You know, they called... Uh, you know, the greatest of all time. Um, we've got Ted Giannolis, um on the line, and he is uh, the greatest mascot of all time. Uh, he actually invented an, an industry, and he, he never intended to do that. It started out, and we'll, we'll ask Ted about how it all started, too. But he, you know, he, he not only he redefined the term mascot and... He actually, in the whole process, he not only outgrew uh, the uh, you know the original the original radio station, he outgrew the original team that he that he worked for, he outgrew the sport. He and the only thing he didn't outgrow was the costume, I guess, Ted. Right? I mean, <laughs> you're very kind. It's great to to be on with you too. Uh, I'm telling you. Um, thank you for uh, well. The, the- it, it, I- I will. Let me give it. So Ted is the famous chicken and he was also known in the early years as the KGB chicken. And then he was the San Diego chicken and has turned really, and I'll, I'll let Ted explain how it all happened, turned a, you know, what was really a, initially a two week promotion into a lifetime of inventing an industry and a lifetime of magic uh, that he got a chance to be the principal. So Ted, how did this all start? Where, where did it Where did it happen? Well, it actually started as a rock and roll radio station promotion back in 1974. It was the day before Easter break, and uh, uh, a local uh, uh, a local station here, KGB, wanted to uh, have a a short promotional gimmick of sending a guy dressed up in a chicken suit to the zoo to give away candy Easter eggs. So they dispatched a representative to the campus at San Diego State to find any kid who would agree to do this. And I agreed to do it on the spot for two bucks an hour. Uh, There was no job audition, no interview, uh, not even a job application to fill out. They just hired me on the spot because they figured at five feet, four inches, um, I'd fit the costume. And so uh, (laughs) I went to the zoo and gave away the Easter eggs uh, for a couple of weeks. And then I saw that the Padres uh, were having uh, opening day, and it was the first day of Ray Kroc's uh, tenure as the new owner. He saved the team from moving to Washington, D.C. because of uh, small attendances. So I figured, you know, I bet I could get into opening day with this thing. So I, I, I went down, and, and they, I got in and uh, started cavorting around in the grandstands, and fans had fun, and the station executives were really pleased with my extra effort, and uh, I continue staying on as a result. Well, the, the, one of the stories that, that I, I've, I've read all of all the stuff that's online, it said that uh, Buzzy Bavesi, who was the general manager of the Padres at the time, 
got a phone call from somebody in operations that, hey, there's a guy in a chicken suit trying to get into the ballpark. And, and his, his comment was, does he have a ticket? And the guy yeah. says, yeah. He says, okay, let him in. That's right. <laughs> That's all that mattered because, you know, even opening night uh, when I went uh, was not sold out. We only had 35,000 uh, tickets sold in, in the stadium that, that could hold at that time about 50,000 or so. And so, um, yeah, they were taking anybody that would come in, but uh, the the uh, it, apparently, um, you know, it, uh, it it met with success of the fans. Uh, uh, it, it didn't seem to interfere with anything as I was uh, goofing off in the grandstands. And, but how- uh, even even the, even the newspapers made uh, fun mention of it, and the station executives uh, were very pleased. And so I just continued that association with with the Padres and. They just let me continue onward. So how did it morph into, because the original chicken costume, you, know, you had, there's a picture of it on your website, um, and it morphed into sort of what we all know as the chicken. How did that happen? Yes, yeah, so the original suit was a paper mache outfit. It was a rental, and um, it was uh, <laughs> ugly looking, to say the least, <laughs> but <laughs> it's what we had. And then um, as the the character success uh, evolved. Uh, the station decided to get uh, another uh, uh, another outfit, and uh, and it was much easier to work in. Pat, it yeah. was uh, uh, very uh, lightweight and foam, and I could be more animated in it. And suddenly, what what I realized was that I could take my fascination for comedy, merge it with my love of sports, and I could start um, doing more things in in the grandstands playing off of fans and, and that sort of thing. And it was only a matter of time because of the success I was having amusing fans that the Padres asked me to start doing things on the field itself with the players during inning breaks. Unheard of. You know, I couldn't, I just didn't force my own way onto the field. The Padres actually allowed me, they invited me. And, uh, and so I started uh, uh, having fun, uh, just improvising off of umpires and, and, and players, and it got a tremendous reaction. And it was the Padres who actually encouraged me to do more and more of this. Um, I guess I, in, in some respects, the Padres being a last place team, uh, fans were going home happy, and the owner, Ray Kroc, was extremely pleased. He just wanted his customers happy. And if we weren't winning, then um, if it meant a few extra laughs uh, for them, so be it. But he was all about it. But, but what was the magic that, I mean, how did you create this? I mean, this is the proverbial lampshade on your head, I guess, uh, where you, you, know, you put somebody in a costume that makes you come alive. What happens when you put the costume on? You know, I didn't realize, Pat, but it was transformative for me. You know, it, uh, it, I, I just kind of like tapped into that inner Harpo Marx, uh, that, that inner uh, comedian in, in me that, uh, you know, I could dissolve real life and then be this alter, alter ego and just have fun. And, you know, there's an old adage, Pat. They say, don't laugh. It only encourages him. Well, that's exactly what happened. <laughs> as, as the fans laugh, it gave me a license to expand. And I just tried things and I just went by the seat of my pants and uh, or by the by my seat of my tail, I suppose. But uh, the fans were just laughing and I was being encouraged and the Padres were the front office was encouraging me to do more. And um, 
And it was just one of those things that, that snowballed. And it got to a point, I'm telling you, that uh, I, in, in a way, success leads to other success. Players uh, started coming to me with ideas. So did umpires and coaches and, and fans. Well, they were all volunteering sketches and ideas and stunts to try. And I would go out and improvise them on the spot many times. And if it got a good reaction, I just added it to the repertoire and, and kept doing it. In fact, let, let me, a quick, a quick anecdote. The first time I went on the field, I got a call from the president of the team, Ballard Smith at the time, uh, who had replaced uh, Buzzy. And this was a, a, a few years later. And he says, he says to me, Ted, we're going to do something special tonight. We're actually going to shoot our first commercial. Now, this is about 1975, 76, right in that area. And, and he says to me, Ted, we want you to go on the field and do something uh, in the fifth inning. I said, oh, my gosh, what do I do? And uh, he says, I don't know. That's your domain. But we'll be <laughs> filming you, okay? So comes the fifth inning. Pat, I've got nothing, absolutely nothing. I'm so nervous. But there I go. I hop the railing. I'm in uh, the far left field area by the bullpen. And as I'm running on the foul, foul line towards the diamond, the fans are going nuts. Ah, the chicken's on the field. They're going to kill him. He shouldn't be out there. <laughs> no. And as I'm running, I still don't know what I'm doing. And then I saw the third base umpire. And it was the late Art Williams, uh, the first National League uh, black umpire. And he had his back turned to the diamond watching me running in. And he was laughing, okay? He said, ah, and I'm thinking to myself, aha, there's a friendly face there. I'm going to go to him. I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm just <laughs> going to go to him, okay? And so as I approached uh, Art Williams, I extended my hand to shake his. And as he reached for mine, Pat, the moment we clenched, it came to me right there. I'm shaking his hand, <laughs> and I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to walk away, but I'm going to pretend that he's not letting go of my grip and he trips me and then I'm going to pick an argument with him. Okay. So, and, and so I say, <laughs> under my breath, I say to him, sir, don't mind me. I'm just going to goof off here for a second. And as I'm walking away, he lets go of, a, of, of his grip, but I don't let go of his. And so I, uh, uh, I pantomime that he's literally uh, pulled, jerked me back in midair as I'm walking away with his handshake and I fall to the, to the ground. Fans are screaming, ah, the umpire just tripped up the chicken. Now I'm getting up slowly, and then I decide I'm going to have a big argument with him, and I start pantomiming my best Billy Martin, okay? <laughs> and I'm ranting and raving and jumping up and down. And, and as I'm doing this, I'm saying, don't mind me, sir. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just goofing here. Just bear with me. And, and Art is looking around like uh, towards his umpire mates like, who, who put him up to this? Somebody, somebody's, and, and they're throwing up their arms like, don't look at us. It's, we didn't do a thing. And so I'm still trying to uh, jump up and down and I'm arguing. The fans are going crazy and I don't know how to finish it. And then it comes to me right then and there. I'll just stop and raise my leg like a dog on a fire hydrant <laughs> and walk away. And I do that. And oh, the explosion. There were 40,000 people in the stands. The explosion of their laughter was enormous. It must have shown up on the Richter scale. And I just... Ted, as a performer, as a performer, you're one person, 
you know, performing in front of 40,000 people. I mean, that's got to be, you know, you could ask any performer. How, that would be a terrifying thing for anybody. Also, something that probably wasn't rehearsed. Some of this stuff, you just reacted at the moment, and that's why it seemed to work, right? Yes. It was a, a high-wire improvisational act. It, it really was. And, and it was all in one take in, in, in front of, you're right, an, a live audience of 40,000 people. And um, it, was, it, it got a tremendous response. I remember being so excited about it, and I was beside myself. And, and the next day, I, I, I get a call from Ballard Smith, uh, the, the president, and he says, Ted, what you did out there was fantastic. The feedback we're getting from our fans is enormous. And, and, he, and he said, we, we just had one problem. Um, our camera jammed, and so we didn't get it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> can, can, can you do it again tonight and, oh no well you can't you can't repeat it a second time in a row but but wow. later on you know i would do it, it well it, and you know during those days uh you know it, you know the padres weren't exciting anybody on the field so anything that would create more excitement and you know i had the same problem in san francisco with the giants and and i you know that's when we first met was i invited you to come up for a game and you came up for a game and did the same thing um, with the Padres at Candlestick Park, and people couldn't believe it. The Giants, uh, you, you may have known this, but we had a play-by-play a, a -play announcer named Lon Simmons who was a very stoic, kind of a very, um, yes. he was a serious man. And whenever he, he would just, you could just come out of the dugout and he would just fall apart. He, he couldn't, he could not continue doing the broadcast uh, when the chicken was there. So, um, so coming up to, coming up to see us, you, you then traveled to a bunch of other ballparks, right? I mean, did the Padres take you on the road with them? Uh, no, that's not exactly um, how, how it actually happened when I started hitting the road, but it's interesting to note, Pat, you were the first, first front office to invite me in, uh, uh, for, a, for a team. You were, mm. you were the very first one. And, and let me qualify that a little bit. The, the very first team I actually went in for was the St. Louis Cardinals back in 1976. Uh, it was the players themselves. It was their idea to pool together their kangaroo court fine money. And, <laughs> and they reached out to me and asked me to fly in and perform a couple of games for them. And, uh, and, and I, I did that and it wasn't with the, the front office, although, um, uh, when the front office found out, they told the players, go ahead, just keep your money. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll front this for you. We'll do this for you. And, and they flew me in, but you were actually the first official front office to invite me in that, the to come in. And it was a wonderful experience with, with the giants fans, uh, back then. I still remember um, and I, it got me pretty excited. I started, that's where I started thinking that this could work um, uh, elsewhere on the road as I started going around. And then eventually the teams themselves started inviting me. And, and um, many times they had me go in with the, the, the Padres themselves. And uh, after that, it started breaking off where the teams started inviting me um, individually on their own, regardless whether the Padres were in town. So I would, I would go in then and it gave me the freedom to cheer for the home team rather than me being a part of the Padres and, and cheering for them, uh, you know, as the road team. And then eventually, of course, the minor leagues started calling me and uh, that's when it really started taking off across the country.
so Ted, the, the date of June 29th, 1979 was a sort of a seminal date in your life, uh, certainly in the life of the chicken. Can you describe what happened on that day? Oh, it was probably a watershed and defining moment for my entire career, if not my, my life. Uh, it, it was, uh, I have been fired. I had been fired by the radio station after five years of employment with them um, uh, as their chicken. And I was uh, breaking out on, on my own. And what happened was we came to loggerheads over um, my career growth and, 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 and the rights to the, to the costume. The station, for whatever reason, chose not to purchase the uh, copyrights to the costume from the manufacturer when it was offered to them. They just refused. They didn't think it was uh, necessary. I went ahead and bought them myself after they turned them down on two separate occasions. So I uh, and, and the station got upset with me uh, on this. They fired me. They filed a lawsuit to prevent me from branching out on my own, claiming they owned the rights. But long story short, the courts ended up ruling in my favor and making me a free agent chicken. So on this, <laughs> on, on this particular night, June 29th, 1979, I decided to come back and debut uh, a new chicken suit because my old one was still hung up in the courts and I wanted to continue progressing with my career. And so um, I decided to design a new costume and had a gigantic styrofoam egg made about eight feet long and, and about five feet high. And I had this um, unveiling, this grand hatching at, at Jack Murphy Stadium. Uh, where I hatched out of a styrofoam egg, a sold-out crowd uh, came out to watch the event and uh, to debut my new outfit that I'm still wearing to this day, um, believe it or not. And uh, it was and amazing. It was. A, it was an. Uh, yes, it was an amazing moment. And let me tell you how amazing uh, it was. Um, uh, the Padres. I, I started getting when I was when I was fired. I started getting a, several offers from teams across the country to come. And, and be a mascot for them. Start up a mascot program and be, be their character. But I chose to stay in San Diego uh, uh, on my own. And the Padres allowed me uh, on, my, um, on that grand hatching night uh, a deal at the att as an attendance incentive. And, and uh, they offered me a buck and a half for anybody I would draw over um, their average attendance. They didn't expect to be, that it'd be much, but it sold out. And as a result uh, of that grand hatching night, the Padres ended up paying me almost forty-four thousand uh, dollars for a single night, which was the equivalent of more than ten times that any player made for a single game. And um, and, and most valuable not, player. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At the time, I think Rod Carew was the highest-paid player, and he was being paid about. Four thousand dollars a game, and uh, and here I was uh, taking in forty four thousand uh, on a on a single night. But all that money uh, eventually went uh, into a defense fund for attorneys, and uh, it it saved my bacon, so to speak, and uh, it kept me alive. Otherwise, uh, there's no way I would have been able to afford a legal defense uh, to uh, continue working. So it, it it proved very instrumental to me. Wow. Ted, did you have did you have like a, a playbook of any sorts? I mean, you know, all the guys they might after you know if they are a pitcher, they might 
take some notes after the game or after an outing and they kind of keep track throughout a season. I mean, did you, did you write down which tricks worked, which didn't? I mean, how did you keep track of all of them? Ah, that's a good point, uh, Jake. Yes, I did. I actually did keep notes and found out what, uh, what worked and, and, uh, and uh, how things went uh, for the evening and, and all, all sorts of things like that. Uh, um, I just uh, decided uh, so that uh, when I hit the road or when I, I reflected back on, on things, uh, I could review my notes. And, uh, and uh, some of them were mental, but a lot of them were, were, were written down. And I would keep them in a little logbook and, and, and reference them. And so it, uh, it just kind of grew from, uh, from there. And uh, I've noticed uh, one thing o- over the years that uh, that in different parts of the country, fat fans might respond differently uh, <laughs> to, to, to certain things, and uh, it and it was very uh, it was uh, uh, quite an experience, quite a discovery. But uh, yeah, I I just uh, applied a little more um, effort to what I was doing so that uh, I could be aware because uh, be aware of my audiences and 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 uh, how it worked and. And, and what worked. And as I went from stadium to stadium, you know, I made notes of, of what could be seen and uh, in, uh, by certain angles in certain stadiums. I mean, Ted, w- with, with such a uh, sample size, I mean, how, how many games did you end up doing? How many, how many suits did you end up wearing through? Oh, I, I go through about, oh, I've been through about, oh, about two or three costumes a year because the outfit uh, of my act was so um, slapstick. And, uh, and, and very physical. And so I'd go through these outfits quite a bit. I mean, I'm, I'm diving into third base. I'm getting tackled by players. I'm, you know, it's, uh, it's uh, and let alone how hot it is inside the outfit. It's a, it's a low tech chicken suit, by the way. And <laughs> there's, there's no fans inside. There's no ice packs of any sort. And uh, so I just, uh, I, I just tough it out. And, um, uh, I just applied myself, and, and as a result, uh, yeah, I'd go through these. Uh, I'd go through these outfits, and then um, and then uh, get new ones and 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 move on. So, um, yeah, it's uh, yeah, it just it just tends to have a wear and tear, not only on the suit but the body as well. After a while. So, Tim, did you? The rumor is your mother actually made some of the costumes for you. Is that true? Yes. Good point, Pat. Yes, she did. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that's right because she was a she was a seamstress anyway very talented and uh, she would make us uh, even as kids uh, you know make us clothes and such and when she saw the original outfit she said you know i think i could do a little better than that and so uh, and so i would get these things tailor made for me you know uh, uh, so often and um and that's what uh, i was was able to keep me going and and uh not have to wait on manufacturers uh, uh, to get in line with them, but rather uh, she could uh, concoct these things in her sewing room. Ted, with, with the evolution of the mascot, what's, I mean, and the costumes too, right? We just talked about the costumes and the evolution of the costumes, um, you know, kind of being the greatest of all time. What's your, what's your kind of perspective on how it's uh, grown and taken on different perspectives and different places and different teams and, like you said, when it got to the minor leagues, everything kind of, you know, takes off. It's, yeah. I mean, how many mascots are there even out there today? Hundreds? Yeah, interesting. Thousands? That's interesting. In the, in the time I call BC, before chicken, there were, <laughs> there were no, 
no professional mascots that I could think of. Yeah, and Max Patkin. Remember Max Patkin, the the baseball clown? He was about it. Yeah, when I started off, I didn't even know about him, uh, the baseball clown, right? And it wasn't until, oh, into the 80s that that somebody actually told me about him. But for people who who would dress up in in costumes, the only way um, I knew of that was – from the occasional college mascot, or even my own high school um, had a, a cardinal. But to show you how bad it was, nobody wanted to dress up in the outfit. They begged uh, students, please dress up in this outfit, you know, if, if, and come to our, our basketball game. Nobody wanted to do it. So, uh, but anyway, so uh, when, I, when I started off, uh, uh, yeah, there, there wasn't anybody. And, and I guess, in a way, my success kind of, spurred uh, uh, others uh, you know it got to the point where uh, finally even the Olympics make, made a big deal over having a mascot and uh, because one started off there, there weren't even any in the Olympics or World Cups and now it's 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 quite common and uh, it's interesting to note as, a, as an aside the first mascot of the Olympics was in 1984 10 years after I started and that was at the Los Angeles Olympics. And I think uh, because of my success here in San Diego, Peter Uberoff, who was the chairman at the time, uh, I'm speculating now, decided, hey, we're going to have a mascot and we're going to make all kinds of merchandising from the character. And they did that. And you know what happened? It was the first time because of the merchandising of Sam the Eagle, the mascot of the Olympics, it was the first time in Olympic history the Olympics actually made money. Previous to that, it was a money-losing proposition for all these municipalities around the world. But Peter Uberoff instig- instigated uh, the first mascot, I think inspired by the chicken 100 miles away in San Diego. And, uh, and uh, eventually, uh, through... Uh, lunch pails and keychains and T-shirts and hats. Sandy Eagle actually made a profit for the Olympics, and they've had one ever since. You know, Ted, the the other guy that you who who credits you with his uh, inspiration was Dave Raymond, who brought the Philly fanatic to life. And uh, and he, you know, I mean, you see all these mascots, and he was he was outstanding. But he, you know, his comments about you, as he said, you know, you were just spontaneous. You were in, interactive, but the other magic about it was that it was all unrehearsed. And and he, since then, I don't know if you know this, he's created a business out of making mascots and coaching mascots. Uh, Dave Raymond uh, is, uh, but he was, uh, he credits you with his inspiration. And uh, uh, you you really did, if you look online and started, and I'll, I'll also I'll invite any of our listeners to, to look online, look on YouTube, and look, look at the San Diego chicken. And there's, I mean, you, you can look and see that fortunately these things are recorded so you can see what's going on. But Ted, it was, um, you also got a chance to travel all over the world. And didn't you also um, meet some U.S. presidents in, in, oh, in the process? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. It's amazing. Pat, that's a good point. You know, it, it, I have to pinch myself. Just going off, uh, just uh, being out there, being irreverent, playing for laughs. It's amazing how many doors it opens up for you. It's, it's incredible. Uh, you, you, you touched on the Phillies there for a second. A lot of people don't know 
that the Philadelphia Phillies asked me uh, to advise them and guide them in putting together their um, Philly fanatic. So I'm, I'm the father of the fanatic. I helped the <laughs> Phillies extensively in their planning and guidance of that. But then as well, you know, it's interesting to note how chief executive officers and presidents of the United States would actually invite me uh, uh, to join them on stage and, or, or even to the White House. And I'm thinking, holy smokes, all I'm doing is playing, playing for a few laughs for a guy, you know, goofing off in a chicken suit. This is really remarkable. It, it just garnered um, a, a lot of attention, a lot of goodwill, a lot of fun, and it just uh, opens uh, paths for you. It, it, and you know what it is, in, in essence? It's just hard work. That's it. it you just apply yourself uh, to the endeavor and, and things. It's amazing how... People will find a path to you if you put out that good faith of, of work effort uh, all the time. And, um, and that's what happened. And so believe me, it, it's always a thrill. It always excites me. I can't even get over it. And, and uh, I still think there's, there's more at hand after, you know, uh, here I am now 66 years old. It, you know, I still enjoy it, but I, I'm in semi-retirement. But um, every now and then I, I still see uh, – opportunities uh, that just um, uh, that just come the, uh, my way and uh, take advantage of it. But some of the stuff you did, you know, you mimicked Pete Rose diving into third. You, you know, you threw yourself all around. I mean, you were even, I, I saw there's a video of you at the, at the Chargers Raiders game um, when the Raiders sort of, you know, snatched uh, victory out of the jaws of defeat and, and they turned to you and it was like you had been shot. You were, you were, the, the pantomime that you did, kind of reliving the Chargers, uh, you know, despair after losing to the Raiders. I mean, it was unbelievable. Yeah, you're referencing the Holy Roller. That's uh, right. Play that so outlandish, so incredulous that it was allowed to stand that it changed the rules of football and i still remember the last play chargers were in first place the raiders were in second at the time big game big rivalry the last play the the the, the raiders literally fumbled their ball in uh, on purpose all the way into the end zone from about the 15 yard line and and scored the touchdown to end the game um at the at the end and there I was in the stands, and I just wanted to mimic what the fans were feeling. And, and uh, I basically felt like I was having a seizure. I couldn't believe what I was seeing and just uh, keeled over. And uh, lucky for me, the, the NFL films cameras uh, caught that and, and used it. <laughs> it's been like a, an iconic image in, as a result, uh, along with that, uh, with that final play. And, uh, and, but... Uh, I'll, that's it. I, I just wanted to mirror what, what fans were, were feeling um, uh, at, at the time. And, uh, and it got a, a, a tremendous reaction in, in retrospect over the years. The picture's worth a thousand words. I mean, like, what, what else can you say? Ted, so, I, I got to ask you a question, Go ahead. though, real quick. Steve yeah, Cobb, does, say, that, does, I, that, I, does that name ring a bell? Who, which name again? I'm sorry. Steve Cobb. Oh, Steve Cobb? Oh, yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yes. So, yes. so I got I to gotta say, I worked for Steve Cobb with the Arizona Fall League. And sure enough, one of his like first stories he ever told me, and this is where you know you've impacted people. Steve Cobb starts telling me a story about the San Diego chicken. 
And I mean, he just, uh, I want to say he just got his own chicken suit from you at some point. Was that, is that right? Steve that's asked. How, that's how much it impacted him? Yes. Steve, who's had a long and legendary career in, in pro sports and, and um, collegiate sports as an executive, um, actually asked me for a chicken head. And, and I don't let go of those very often, but I, I did send him uh, a chicken head, uh, game-worn chicken head that he has, uh, and I think it's proudly displayed somewhere uh, at his residence. So it absolutely I'm honored is. By that. And let me tell you who else happens to have a chicken head, uh, and, and this will surprise you. And, and Pat, you touched on it a, a, a few minutes ago. Uh, in the Gerald R. Ford Presidential Museum and Library in Grand Rapids, Michigan, stands <laughs> a chicken head on display, uh, and, and they, they have it out, especially when, when the president has uh, symposiums, when the, uh, uh, when the um, uh, library, the presidential library, has symposiums on uh, the presidency and comedy. And, uh, and uh, just a to give you a, a quick update, a, a quick backstory how that happened. In 76, uh, Ford was passing through San Diego, big rally. I get invited by the president to join him on stage with all the celebrities endorsing him. And, uh, and there I was uh, asked to be on stage right next to uh, John Wayne, Zsa Zsa Gabor, and Shirley Babishoff, the Olympic gold medalist, and Rod McEwen, and Wayne Newton, and whatever. And he introduces me to this uh, outdoor crowd of about 20,000 in San Diego. Crowd goes nuts. I take my bows and I decide I'm going to go and hug this man. And I dart all the way across the stage and I put him in a big bear hug and then I raise his arms. Crowd is going nuts. And so as I go backstage, I'm thinking they're going to bust me. They're going to arrest me. And I get pulled aside by a couple of guys. Yeah, Secret Service. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't. It wasn't the the Secret Service. It was, believe it or not, the the uh, press secretary Ron Nesson and a, and a writer for the New York Times, a senior editor Jim Naughton. and the and he, the press secretary introduces me to Jim Naughton, the New York Times reporter, and he's laughing and he says, "Kid, what you pulled up there was the funniest thing I've ever seen in my career in politics." He says. Will you sell me uh, your your costume? I told him I can't sell you my costume. It's how I make my living, but I can give you an extra head that I have. And he <laughs> says, "Extra head? I'll take it." And, and so he takes it, and I'm, I'm thinking, "What's he going to do?" And and the press secretary Ron Nesson tells me, "Oh, Jim's quite the practical joker. He's always got something up his sleeve." Sure <laughs> enough, the man wears it to the next presidential news conference and he asks a question in his three-piece suit wearing the chicken head. So it's... Gerald Ford, the president, gets such a kick out of it that he asks, hey, I, you got to give me that head for my archives one day. And he gave it to him and that's how it ends up in the, in the, in the um, Gerald R. Ford uh, Presidential uh, Museum and Library in Grand Rapids. Hey, so wow. Ted, Ted, I'll tell you, uh, uh, sort of a, an old uh, sports promotion guy uh, trick is that if you're ever going to send a politician out on the field, you either want to have a Hall of Famer or a mascot next to him because <laughs> half, half the, the people will, will be booing and the other half will be cheering, but nobody <laughs> knows which half is doing what. It's, a, it's an old trick. 
So, so they, so they, they, they knew what they were doing by having you stand next to and hug the president. You, you made him a hundred times more popular. It's interesting. Yeah, he did end up. He he lost a general election that year, but he did carry California, and and wow. San Diego put him over the. San Diego ended up putting him over the top, I guess. The, so and the weird thing. Go, go ahead. ahead. Sorry. No, I you. was going to say. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I, I was going to I was going to ask you. So you were actually the sporting news. I'm going to make you blush a little bit. Um, the sporting news actually uh, named you, the San Diego chicken, is one of the hundred most powerful people in sports in the 20th century. I mean, so what, what that means is, uh, you know, baseball is a sport. It's a game. It's the national pastime. But what you were able to do was to create a character that sort of transcended all that stuff. And, you know, now after 40 plus years of, of doing it, seeing it, I mean, you, you, you must, you must have must reflect on this in a way that makes you smile. And I know you'd love to be able to go do the things that you could do 40 years ago. All of us would, but how are you thinking about it these days? What do you, what's, is there a future for the chicken or is it just going to be in our memories? Oh, that's a good question. It's all the way around there, Pat. I got to tell you, first and foremost, when the editors of the sporting news named me uh, among the top 100, I was really taken aback. It's I was a flabbergasted. One of the one of the greatest honors I, I think I've I've ever received. I'm on a list there from everybody from Muhammad Ali and Babe Ruth to uh, 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 Pete Rozelle. Uh, uh, Ted Turner is on there. You know, so it ran the gamut of executives and uh, and uh, athletes themselves. Obviously, Michael Jordan, Wayne Gretzky's on there. Holy cow! And there I am as well. <laughs> I think, I think, I think what the editors were trying to say is that these were the people that literally changed the faces of sport, and 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 in one way or another, and they brought a different uh, dynamicism uh, uh, to it, and and uh, and uh, uh, redefined things, and and it was. Um, I, I was uh, uh, totally honored, and and uh, and nowadays, uh, yeah. In in reflecting back upon it, it it's still not over uh, for me. You know, I I thought it it might be over, but here's the thing, uh, Pat. You know, just when I I uh, think that oh, I'm just going to retire it like uh, Babe Ruth's number three, and just uh, go off into the sunset. Their fans are going no 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 no. The, the, the chicken must stay around. It's got to stay around. Uh, you know, uh, Mickey Mouse didn't uh, didn't vanish with uh, with uh, uh, Walt Disney. Um, uh, 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 Kermit the Frog did, and, and Miss Piggy didn't go away after the passing of of Jim Henson. Uh, and so the, there are sports fans who who think uh, and, and, and insist that the chicken has got to stay around in some form. It, Probably won't be with me, obviously, but whatever, um, wherever it may lead, uh, I'm, I'm open to, to possibilities. Uh, and so, uh, you know, it's just one of those things. And, and if, um, if it's just a memory in the past, I'm okay with that as well. But, you know, it's, it's just interesting. I learned a long time ago, Pat, you know, uh, in sports promotions, you can do a lot of things for fans. You can give them a, a fireworks. You can give them. Um, uh, goods at the at the at the gate, but 
I learned a long time ago, one of the great emotions you can give fans is a happy memory. And that's what I was doing. I backed into that and I didn't realize it. And I said, they carry these memories longer than any trinket they'll get at the, at the turnstiles. They'll carry these memories and, and impart them uh, to, to people they, they know and families and, and other generations and, and talk about the, the laughter that they enjoyed. And, and it, it, it says a lot about us as Americans, I think, uh, that we, we still look at sports as entertainment. It's, it's slipping away. It might be slipping away, but we're still trying to hold on to sports as entertainment. And I think fans point to this guy in the chicken suit and say, there, see that guy there? He's reminding us this is still a game. And if he's the last guy standing, reminding us that this is a game, so be it. But it is a game. And look at that guy goofing off. We're laughing. Hey, We're Ted, laughing. Who, who, whoever could have th thought that a guy, a college student, trying to figure out a way to make a buck who could only fit in the costume making two bucks an hour 40-plus years ago would have changed a, a whole industry and uh, – you know, it's an amazing thing. It's just a, an amazing legacy that you have. And I'm sure that you would, you, you want to see it go on in some way. And you know what? I think you're spontaneous and unrehearsed enough to somehow figure out a way to make that happen. At least I hope you do. <laughs> well, you know, I'm... I'm, I'm, I'm asked to write a, a comedy book of uh, chicken memoirs, and, and I'm in, into that. And uh, and it's it's interesting to know, you know, all I did was lead with good faith, and I tried to lead with a few laughs and just try. It really excited me, Pat, whether I was in for the Giants in San Francisco or I was in for the Diablos in El Paso. I saw all those fans get and it excited me. It just excited me. And I look up into those stands and I say, how can I make these people laugh? What can I do? That's all I wanted to do, Pat. Nothing else mattered to me. And for a guy making two bucks an hour, it, it was what really fueled me. And le let alone later on, the I started making a few bucks from it. And that's what kept me going as well. But uh, when I started off, all I wanted to do, and, and to this day, still had that burning desire how, how much can I make these people laugh? And that's what, what thrilled me. And that's what carried me. And, 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 and it's what sustained me, so, I suppose. But it's like I said, that old adage that I touched on earlier. Don't laugh. It only encourages him. It's nothing <laughs> more true. Pat, it's uh, the fun business. If this Pat is the fun business. the fun business. That's the that's the idea, Ted. Listen, on behalf of, uh, of of Jake and I, and also millions and millions of baseball fans that you've entertained over the years, hey, just let me represent all of them and say thank you. I mean, you you may have gotten a lot of it on the other side, but the, what you gave everybody else uh, was a far greater gift. So uh, it's just an honor for us to be able to talk with you and and to listen to you. You can hear your enthusiasm that's still in your voice. So. Uh, thanks for thanks for everything and uh, and figure out a way to keep it going if you can. You're very kind. I really appreciate that, Pat.